isn't any more a convenient excuse to say, for instance, that, eh, you know, public schools are accessible. So there's a policy. This is something that you have to do. This is how you can get children with disabilities in our public schools. You know, let's do it. A big step forward for disability law in the Philippines. Today on In Asia, from the Asia Foundation, I'm John Rieger. And I'm Tracy Yang. A comprehensive new policy from the Philippine Department of Education is set to start dismantling the often overlooked barriers that keep students with disabilities out of the classroom. The new policy, issued on November 2nd, has some unmistakable fingerprints from our own Coalitions for Change. Here now to tell us more are Regina Pasion of Coalitions for Change and Bianca Lapuz from our coalition partner, Advocates of Inclusion. And a note, we're taping this show on December 3rd, which is the UN's International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Regina and Bianca, welcome to In Asia. Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, great to have you guys. Regina, we always like talking about coalitions for change projects because they're such an interesting blend of development initiatives and political savvy. And this week, you brought us a tale of a new landmark policy in the Philippines to address the needs of K-12 students with disabilities. So tell us first, what is the state of disability law generally in the Philippines? In 1991, we passed the Magna Carta for Persons with Disabilities. So that was 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, it was actually that time a bit pioneering. The accessibility law was was passed in 1992. And then very recently in 2008, the Philippines was signatory to the UN Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So, you know, the bases are covered. So then a legal framework has been in place. And yet you write in this week's blog that, quote, despite a favorable policy environment for people with disabilities, no discernible improvement in the last decade can be directly attributed to the efforts of the government. Why? What are the obstacles here? Yeah, so we, we uh, the foundation recently supported the research uh, just to see how has it been since the signing of the UN Convention in 2008. And that's one of the findings that we've had here precisely, right? That despite, you know, a, a good policy environment, there hasn't been a good improvement for the lives of the disability sector in the Philippines. And we found it's because of the implementation. It's operationalizing it and institutionalizing it within the agencies. So let's talk specifically about the schools. Bianca Lapus of Advocates of Inclusion, you have used a wheelchair for mobility since childhood. What did your research tell you about accessibility in the schools today? We conducted several focus group discussions where we interviewed children with disabilities and their families. And there were instances when... Parents of the children with disabilities would opt to drop their children from school because the school would not yield to their accessibility requests. So, for instance, one student, he used to go to a ground floor classroom, but when he reached a certain year level, the school moved his classroom to the topmost floor of the school building, which did not have access for wheelchairs. And there were even cases when the comfort rooms also would not fit or allow like a a wheelchair user to enter through the door. By comfort rooms, you mean lavatories? Yeah, yeah. So the new policy, which came out on November 2nd, is 
It's called, it's got, it's got a long name, <laughs> Policy Guidelines on the Provision of Educational Programs and Services for Learners with Disabilities in the K-12 to Basic Education Program. And Coalitions for Change was able to make its concerns heard and actually contribute to improving the new legislation. What do you think was CFC's biggest contribution to this policy? I think our biggest contribution to that policy was the infrastructure of the school buildings or the learning environment. I'll say more about that. During our discussions with the Department of Education, when we talked about accessibility, um, one of the things that they were telling us is what what does it mean aside from ramps? It, it, it was an issue of spelling out what these features were. Even if it was uh, included in the accessibility law, perhaps they just needed to be reminded. So we listed out for them that when you say accessibility, it means that the school building will be accessible for visually impaired, hearing impaired, or mobility uh, people with mobility issues. And these include features such as ramps, accessible toilets, even the basic doorknobs that it's not a turn doorknob, but it's actually a lever doorknob, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very simple, right? If, yeah, if stuff you sometimes are, you don't think about. You yeah. don't think about it. When you go to the yeah. toilet, you just open the door. But for a person with disability, these things matter. There were so many policies already that exist. When you try to make sense of how all of these laws will apply to the Department of Education, you need a grand policy that will tell teachers, tell school principals just exactly how they will provide the services to children with disabilities. There isn't any more a convenient excuse to say, for instance, that, you know, public schools are accessible. So there's a policy by DepEd that you can actually show to the public school principal or teacher or whoever and tell them that this is something that you have to do. This is how you can do it, how you can get uh, children with disabilities in, in, in our public schools. You know, let's do it. So there's a clear weapon. I would and say weapon because you know, that's a tool tool yeah. there's a tool that empowers now we were very also particular with working with the department of education precisely because school buildings are also used as holding places and that sometimes they're they're used as evacuation centers so if you make schools accessible you're hitting three aspects of of their lives, you know, you're hitting their education, you're hitting their safety, and you're hitting their civic participation or their ability to participate in civic life. So really, you kill three birds with one stone there, school access, emergency safety, and civic participation. That, that is the hope. Tracy. So yeah, we've been talking about the schools, but you think that this new policy will have an impact on disability access in other sectors as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think we've been um, pressuring, for instance, uh, well, not pressuring, maybe perhaps um, lobbying, lobbying, really pushing. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's gently nudging <laughs> the agencies. For instance, when we would talk to the Department of Public Works and Highways, they would say uh, all of the public schools should be accessible because based on our plans, they are made to be accessible. But for instance, what if the public school that you are building did not have enough land? Accessible facilities entail more space. 
This is the reason why a lot of the schools remain inaccessible because compliance with the accessibility law is bare minimum. So yes, we are hoping to influence other sectors because to make public schools accessible uh, will not only take, I guess, the changing of mindset within DepEd, but also Department of Public Works and Highways, which is agency mandated to do the construction of all the public schools. Well, this is where you get into the area that makes um, coalitions for change so fascinating to me. Bureaucrats and government policymakers as a tribe aren't always sympathetic to the clamor of outside voices. How is CFC able to be so effective? How do you get the government governments here? Do you have a, like a secret? Is it a magic wand? Do you have a secret knock? <laughs> a secret line. How do you get it? A secret telephone line. Well, of course, if we have a secret, we won't be able to say that. So because it won't be a secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm just kidding. But I think for this particular policy, it was important to us to recognize that DepEd was doing the right thing. Then we just put forward that you might be missing something fundamental. And, and when you approach it that way, that, that you know, you congratulate them, because it is hard. It is a very complex issue, but the legal frameworks are there. So a bit of reminding, a bit of nudging, a bit of conversing with them and having a dialogue. Regina Pashyung and Bianca Lapuz, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Tracy John. I had a great chat with you guys. Yeah, me as well. Thank you so much. Oh, oh yeah. H- happy International Day for Persons with Disability. Yeah, in the Philippines. And that's our podcast. Regina has a thoughtful essay about persons with disabilities and disability law in the Philippines in this week's blog. It's well worth a look. And we said it before, but we'll say it again. Take a minute and subscribe to our podcast while you're there or just search for in asia one word on the intertubes until next time i'm tracy yang and i'm john rieger thanks for listening